passage that, that comes to me is in Colossians. I read it the other, the other day, and it's, it's right at the, the end of a, a long list of things that the Apostle Paul is telling the Colossian church that they have to put off. Amen. All sorts of works of the flesh. I, I would imagine all of those things are, are, are things that must be put off because they, they're not conformed to the cross. They've got to be put on the cross. And, and then after that, he, he, he goes on saying, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. And then he gives a long list of the things that we should be putting on. Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. As Christ forgave you, so also you must do. And then, you know, so he's saying, you've got to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And then he ends by saying, but above all these things, put on agape, or love, which is the bond of perfection. There's a, I, I wrote it down, I think the New Living Translation, I, I wrote it down in some other notes. It says, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. Isn't that, isn't that the message of the kingdom that's going out shining as a city set upon a hill is a group of believers who are united together in perfect harmony. And how are they united? Put on love. That's what binds us together. What is that love? You know, we've been taught before, Brother Blair has shared, and I, I hope I get this right and I hope others will correct me, but my understanding is, is that before Jesus came, the Greeks knew the word, a couple of words for love. One might be eros, which simply referred to our carnal lusts and desires, which really has nothing to do with any sort of biblical love. They also understood the word phileo, which meant an affection and a familial, brotherly sort of love that people can have. And yet when Jesus came, the disciples began to apply this word agape, uniquely to Jesus. It was like even when Jesus was speaking with Peter at the point when he knew he was being, it was, something was being reconciled with Jesus after he had professed that he would follow him and then he had denied him three times. And how Jesus kept looking at him and saying, you know, do you, do you agape me? And how Peter's response would be, Lord, I, I phileo you in the Greek. The English translation, they just use love in both places. We've heard this before. Most of us know this. But it was like Jesus was saying, no, you're going to need a lot more than just some goodwill, you know, familial love. That's not what is going to hold you through all of these things. That's not what is going to allow your purpose that I've created you for in your life to come to, to the fullness. It's only going to be this agape. It's going to be this love that conforms itself to the cross. Jesus was that manifestation of his love. And when it says here that if we put on love, that's the bond of perfection. This is what binds us together. This is what takes all of the different body parts that could be scattered and unites us together and joins us together into the body of Christ. This is the bond of perfection. Amen. You know, I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, I feel, I feel this deep feeling inside my heart today of gratitude for what God is building, that he truly is. The mountain of the Lord, Amen. he wants to establish this. Every place, everywhere, 
what people are viewing right now, whether it's in New Zealand, whether it is in South Africa, Israel, all over the United States, South America, you feel that God is raising up this testimony of brothers and sisters that are united together by the power of the cross. They're being united together in a fitly framed order that's becoming a city set on a hill whose light cannot be hidden. It's not going to come together according to our own design. It's not going to come because each one of us start getting our own ideas that says, you know what, I think the things that I feel kind of align a little more with Cephas over here, you know. And you know what, I'm, I really like the way this person, I like their style a little bit better, and I'm going to align myself with Paul over here. No. If we're conformed to the image of his son and we're conformed to the cross, then we're going to build according to the plan and the order that God has given for his church to come together. We're going to have a reverence and an honor for it, and that is what is going to establish this, this city on a hill in such a way that no storm, no battle, no trial that can come to individuals or to that city, that it's ever going to shake the, that building because it's founded on the rock. Amen. You know, I, I, I want to add one other thing, too, and that is, is that, you know, while you're talking and I feel like it fits, I, the other day, it's probably been about a month ago now if I, if I think about it, you know, I just, I kept having the phrase go over in my heart and my mind, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And normally if I have a scripture that's going over in my, my heart and my mind, I, uh, I'll, I'll usually stop and go look it up. I want to read it within its context. And I realized that I really had been sort of dismissing it as I went along. And I, I started to contemplate that. I, I wasn't in a place I could look it up right then, but I thought, you know, I felt this all day today. What am I doing? And I, I kind of realized that I relegated that little fragment of Scripture as almost like a cliché, you know, pulled out of context. I, and to, to some degree, I know no Scripture is, is anything close to a cliché, but, you know, if you walk into a Christian bookstore, you'll probably see that maybe emblazoned on the side of like a coffee mug in the morning, you know, the kind of thing where that's, you just read it and, you know, when you're not, you're not really feeling it and you're waking up and, and you're, you're thinking, well, this is the day the Lord has made. And I'm not denying that God has created every day. I am not, I'm not denying, and Paul says, rejoice. <laughs> and again, I say rejoice. We're supposed to rejoice in every circumstance. But when I felt to go and look up the context, this is what it was that really, really impacted me. This is in Psalms, the, the, the passage is in Psalms 118. Open to me the gates of righteousness and I will go through them. The gates are synonymous with authority in the, in the Bible. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise Yahweh. This is the gate through which the righteous shall enter. I'll praise you for you have answered me and you have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I'll tell you, when I read it, I, I thought to myself, you know, what we're really rejoicing, some translations, I believe the Amplified says, this is the day the Lord has brought about. What we're rejoicing in isn't merely just some day that we choose. We're not rejoicing in that there's, there's a way that we found that really worked for us. We're rejoicing that God made a day, that God made a way for us to come into deep harmony Amen. with our brothers and sisters and with Him. When it talks about, 
a cornerstone, it says, I think it refers to the fact that there is a place. There is a temple. It's not according to the way just one man chooses to do it. My idea of building someone else's. No, it means that there is a place. There is a temple. As God told and spoke in the Old Testament, he said, you know, when that day comes, you're not going to worship as each man does what's right in his own eyes. You are going to go build a temple in the place that I ordain. That's the place. And, of course, we know that the Old Testament temple was where Solomon, after he built it, that God said, this is where I'll put my eyes, my heart, my ears will always be open. This is the place where I'll put my name forever. That's what, that's what God is building through the power of the cross. That is what God's doing. And the day that we're rejoicing in is the day when God laid that cornerstone in our lives. And that is the rock that Jesus said, whoever falls on this rock will be broken. But woe to him who the rock falls upon for he'll be ground to powder. You have this feeling today with what God is doing that you say, you know what? This rock is not going to fall on me. I know what I am apart from God. I know what my own plans, my own ideas, my own ways, what they've brought me to. God, I'm rejoicing. This is the day the Lord has made that I can fall on this rock. And then as lively stones, as Peter said, we can be formed one on top of another according to his design. And I'll tell you, if it, if it, uh, it goes on and it says, Save now, I pray, O Lord. I pray now, send prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then it goes on and it says, Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You know, don't you feel that today, brothers and sisters? You have a sense that this design, this order, this temple that God is allowing us by his grace and his mercy to be built according to this design around this cornerstone. Amen. You have this feeling that you say, God, if I can just be a part of this, would you bind me? Take my life as a living sacrifice and let it be bound to the horns of this altar. And only in this way are we going to be able to be fitly framed with one another in such a way that in the end we can really say, as, as, as it says, I believe in the Old Testament, then Peter quotes it. He says, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Don't you feel that today? You know, when you feel God calling you past all of those things into the cross and into this place of unity, you know, there's things we've got to leave behind. You know, and there's this feeling that says, can I trust this? Can I step out on it? But we can believe the promise of the word of God today. It says, if we'll build according to this, with this level of care, with this level of humility and honor for what God is doing, we're never going to be put to shame. Amen. The only way that we would be, we would be ashamed is if we are more like the, the disobedient that Peter talks about there in 1 Peter when he says he's a stumbling stone to the disobedient. And you know, it's not like there's got to be something that outright rejects it. It's just this casual attitude that we can have, an apathy that can, that can, that can creep in to what God is doing in which we start losing sight of the beautiful, intricate order that God is establishing and he's bringing us together in. We lose sight of who we are and what we're deserving of in and of ourselves and that we've got to stay conformed to this cornerstone and united together in the power of the cross. Anytime we lose that and we become apathetic, we run the risk of, of beginning to contribute to 
a building that's not built and fitly framed. It's not held together in the bonds of love. And therefore, it, it's going to be, it could be in great danger when the, the winds and the storms begin to batter against it, as, as Jesus said, would come to a house that's not built on the rock of his word. If I can give you one example of this, I was, I was telling Brother Zach and a few others before, I, uh, I, I read recently, maybe some people have, have heard about it, um, but of these, this, these condominiums in Florida, I think it was in the in city of Miami, that came crashing down. Has anybody ever, uh, I think I'd referenced it weeks and weeks ago, maybe even months ago in one of the podcasts briefly, um, in one of these live streams. But this, this happened, and they say it was a disaster that was unprecedented in uh, modern U.S. history. And basically, there were these, these two condominiums that were built right around the same time, two towers that were sort of joined together. And there were North Tower and the South Tower. They were called the Champlain Towers. They were built 40 years ago. And they were, they were advertised as luxury living right on the ocean. And the South Tower, of course, was right on the water. And in one moment here a few months ago, at about 1 o'clock in the morning, it's 14 floors or something like that, and it came crashing down right on top of itself. You look at videos from other uh, security cameras from around that kind of captured it. It literally looked like it was one of those buildings that was detonated by a professional. It collapsed right down onto itself completely. So many lives were lost. It was just a terrible disaster. And they've now, of course, have been trying to get to the, the bottom. How did this happen? How did something that, that one, that the South Towers, how did they collapse like that in just one moment? And what they discovered was that the people who oversaw the planning and the construction, especially of the South Tower, they started making cost-saving choices that would kind of generally meet building codes and whatever, but they built into it long-term risks. And they said, the other thing that really got me was they said that the collapse wasn't, wasn't, it was unlikely that it was due to a single design or construction issue that was identified, but it was the cumulative effects of these little decisions that ultimately it doomed the structure. And some of them, they really got me. One of them was they said that there was inadequate waterproofing, inadequate covering over this building. And it wasn't something that they, 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 they didn't know about. In fact, there had been multiple reports over 20 years or more in which they would say, there's water leaking through in various areas. Have we attended to this? And they would point out that there was, an, there was inadequate, uh, that waterproofing, inadequate covering. And yet they, they said that they debated, they questioned, and they argued about all of those little water sources. They would do little things here and there, but nothing to fundamentally address that problem, despite the fact that they got repeated uh, safety reports that would, that would warn, is this, is, this, is this being done right? Do we need to attend to this on a deeper level? Then what ended up happening was is that that water that would leak down through, they actually did not have really adequate drainage deep down. In the, in the lower recesses of that building. And so a lot of that water would pool up 
And people would say, what's all this that's pooling up down there, you know? This, is, this, is, this cannot be good for the structure. And we need better drainage, you know? We, we've got to be able to let some of these things, this, this out and address this problem. But once again, they questioned. These, these are not my words. This is, these are the words of the people who are part of these committees that were overseeing these condos. They would say, we have questioned, debated, and even argued over these, over these points. Meanwhile, the damage was becoming more noticeable over the years, and the problem was becoming more increasingly important that they address. In the north towers that didn't, uh, didn't collapse, if you went down into the, to the real foundation of the building, into that parking garage, they were used, that you could, they would measure them, they were 24 by 24 piers that would, that, of concrete that were holding up that, that first, those first levels. And for some reason, for cost-saving measures, they decided that in the south towers, they just brought it down to about 16 by 16. They were just gonna just bring them a little bit smaller. They said when you drilled into those concrete piers, there was actually less aggregate to actually hold it together. They used a slightly softer form of concrete. They actually used slightly less rebar that would help to hold all that together and even a thinner gauge. Again, they kept saying none of these things would have contributed, would have, would have brought about the collapse of the building in and of itself. But as the water began to seep in and soften up that concrete, then the water would begin to seep into the, the rebar and begin to rust it out a little bit. And all of those things were beginning to contribute to, to, to something that was, that was building up. And then the, the last thing was that they noticed that in the side of that building that ended up collapsing was they noticed a real absence of these supporting walls that they referred to as shear walls. And somebody who is a, uh, an architect would probably be able to talk about this a lot more authoritatively, but from what I am gathering from the things that I've read, that these shear walls are these reinforcing walls that literally go from the foundation of the building all the way to the top. And they're, they're wide and, and, and very fundamental to the building. They give it lateral stability and things like that. And what really got me about it was that they said that architects and builders know the importance of these shear walls in the construction of a building, but designers and things like that oftentimes don't like them because they inhibit big, broad, open floor plans and things that people would really like. And so what they recognize is that while this one building that collapsed had one of those shear walls in place in the entire building, the other building that didn't had, I think, four built in strategically along the way. Brothers and sisters, when I started reading about all these things, I just say, God, uh, when, I, when I look at what happened, this, these people, from what I understand in the, in the, in the condo collapse, they actually finally got together, they issued a memo to everybody in the building, and they, that's when they said, we have, we have questioned, debated, and argued over all of these things, and it's time to pay the price. And they began work on the building, and one week later it collapsed. It was too little too late, because they failed to build according to this chief cornerstone. Somehow, they all got pulled into their own desires, their own perspectives of what was necessary and what wasn't. 
And meanwhile, there was something actually built into the construction that was flawed because it wasn't really, it wasn't, it wasn't born from this attitude of self-sacrifice that God is speaking of. It was, it was born from an idea to maybe cut a few corners, to do things a little bit differently. You know, didn't appreciate some of those reinforcing walls because we could do it a little bit like this. And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, when I, I thought about the, the, the inadequate waterproofing and the covering, and I thought about the time, we talked about it last week, I believe, where, where Paul opposed Peter to his face, you know? And what was he essentially saying when he saw what was going on? He said, something's creeping in here. Yep. Something's creeping in. This is not according to the cross. There's something, there's some kind of hypocrisy that's going on here. Thank God that he's building us together in relationships in which we've got those things in our lives. Help us when we come and somebody says, is this, do do we have the right thing here? Something seems to be seeping in. This is not bringing us to unity. That we can hear those words. We can find ourselves being renewed in that sense that says, God, bind this, this sacrifice to the, to the, with cords to the horns of this altar. Keep helping us build according to this beautiful design and order that you're building. Amen. Thank God for the relationships that we have where we can go bear our hearts to one another. Things don't have to build up in the foundations of our hearts and lives. We've got the ability to be vulnerable by the power of the cross to say, this is what's going on. And somehow through that, not only are all those things drained away, but we feel the river of God beginning to flow in our lives. Amen. The river of God that starts bringing life to us. Thank God for those supporting walls and structures because in the end we're going to see that all of those things are what is helping us build in such a way that it's going to hold us together. I read this one story that was pretty encouraging about this very discouraging example that I know I'm, I'm, I'm sharing, but it really got me. And it was of a, one lady who was in those south towers And at 1 o'clock in the morning, she woke up and she just heard a noise. And she turned on her light and she looked up and she saw a crack running through her ceiling. And as soon as she saw that crack, she instantly felt something drive her. And she said, something just felt wrong. And I threw on some clothes and she said, I ran out into the hall. And she said, when I ran out into the hall, I heard one more little noise. And she said, I didn't know what it was, but I just felt the Lord. I I felt something prompting me saying, get out right now. And she said, I didn't take the, the elevators. She said, I ran all the way down the hall. And she said, I went to the, the, the stairs that were heading down. And she said, I ran through those stairs, shut the door behind me, and I heard this roar. And I just felt like I needed to get to the downstairs floor. When she got down, she realized that she was in. Now she had taken the stairs that had taken her to the North Tower. And the South Tower had collapsed behind her. And that, that stairwell was actually built right on the back of one of those big shear walls. Those restricting shear walls. <laughs> those, those walls that could be looked at as something that would be confining. And indeed it is. But it was life to her. You know, brothers and sisters, I, I'd want to just say in all of, all of this that it wasn't hard for me to think of the passage that says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run into it and are saved. I also thought about this in Isaiah 26. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up walls and ramparts for salvation. And then in Isaiah 60, it says, But you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Am I saying that we stick to this, some sort of form 
and it's going to be rigid apart from a relationship with God? Absolutely not. Brother Ossie was ministering about this a few weeks ago. We've got that message on the app. Formula or relationship? We've got to have that dynamic relationship with God and with His people, but it is not to the exclusion of the form that God has given us. We've got to know what God is speaking, and if we'll have that inside of us, I believe it, that God can really truly do a quick work. He can do a quick work all over the earth. Amen. And if it's not stretching it too far, I want to... Brother Zafrir used an example of the settlers in Israel. And when they would, when they would go in, they would, they would do a quick work. And they would raise up overnight a tower and stockade in which those settlers would be, begin to establish themselves in the land. So none of what I'm sharing today means that God cannot do a quick work, but it has to be the right work. It's got to be conformed to this cross. It's got to be conformed to this chief cornerstone that God has laid. But when everyone is committed to that design and order and they're finding their place in that, God can raise up a standard quickly and he can raise this up. And so what they would do is they would, they would train together for months, preparing each piece according to this design. And then everyone would know their part and then they would go into the region that they wanted to settle and according to this design and plan, Amen. they would go in and then each person would do their part. And literally when the sun came up in the morning, they'd be inside their strong tower. They knew that if they had people that were saying, I don't know, is that really necessary? I'm kind of dragging my feet. I'm not so sure about this. Well, I think we could probably do it this way. All, of, all that would they would have to do is do that and drag their feet in that way. And when the sun came up and the enemy started shooting on them, maybe they wouldn't have that refuge in that place that they needed to be. And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, that was the beginning and the foothold of something natural, but you feel that God is preparing us in the spirit to start invading new lands together. Amen. To start setting up his, these, these tower and stockades, and ultimately it is going to be the mountain of the Lord that has been established. Amen. And what's going to hold us all together is the, is the love of God. And I, I wanted to share that today because I'll tell you, I feel such a sense in my heart, like I want, I, I want this society and this culture to be established. I want it truly to be the praise of the whole earth. And I tell you, I feel like what God is doing today, He's uniting our hearts together. He's given us our, our marching orders in terms of what God is calling us to do. And if we'll do it with all of our hearts, I believe that the mountain of the Lord is going to be established and the nations are going to stream to it, saying, teach us your ways.